As you look at chapter 2, you see uh, a series of stories. I might, you might take a title from this statement, New Wine into New Wineskins. Here we see that Jesus comes. He does certain things that challenge what people think is going to happen with the Messiah. And then, they, and then Jesus responds to that and clarifies who he is and the way that he needs to challenge us. And I think that this shows, we need to remember, I'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the third story, but we need to be challenged as well. You know, we are not at a point in history or in our lives individually in which we could say, now we no longer have need for the Messiah to challenge us. We, we require change. We require ju- adjustment. We're going to require to have some new wineskins so we can pour in the new wine. And that is what I want us to think about, is what is the way that Jesus might be challenging you tonight to say that you need to make some changes, you need to move into a new way of thinking, new patterns of relationships or, or work or structure of your life, things you're doing at home. And what is Jesus? how is Jesus challenging us to bring us to a new and better way of life? So we're going to see this in four stories. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the context of each story or the, talk about briefly what happens in the, in the events. But then I'll, then I'll talk about more specifically about the teaching and what it means. So let's begin with the, the story. The first story is the paralytic forgiven and healed. So we might not know what a paralytic is. A paralytic is simply someone that cannot walk. And that's taken from the Greek, blah, 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 which I have no idea what it is, which means you can't walk. So the paralytic is a man who can't walk. Jesus comes back from traveling around. Remember, he said, I got to go preach, and I got to know, I got to, because that's why I've been sent here. I've got to come to preach. But then he comes back to the city where he was living, and that city was Capernaum, which means... Me neither. So <laughs> I did know it one time, but um, it's like I was thinking, I do know what that means. I have said it, and I've even said it in, in the Hebrew form, but I can't remember what it means. But I don't think it's really that important. Anyways, it's a, it's a town by the city, by the sea. And he's in the house, and there's all these people gathering, or gathering around him uh, to listen to what he's teaching. But it's interesting, particularly that there are, are these teachers of the law who are watching him and, and listening. Now, um, what happens is that this paralytic, this man who cannot walk, has some friends. And, and these friends are going to bring him to Jesus because they believe, and rightly, that Jesus can and will heal him. The only problem is that the house is completely full. I mean, I can't imagine how full this little house must have been how much how many people uh, this was it was completely against all covid regulations i mean they must have been stuffed in there and there's no way in to get in there and so these friends have an idea and it's it, this idea is somewhat famous um it's not necessarily one you should try at home but it's what they did is they cut a hole in the roof and they let the man down there in front of jesus and Jesus then sees his faith, and he says to him, get up and walk. No, that's not what he says. It's interesting. That's what we might expect that he would say, right? 
He needs, we know that he's, he's looking to Jesus to heal him. He says, your sins are forgiven you. He saw his faith, and he said, your sins are forgiven you. The leaders were scandalized by this, and they said in their, said in their hearts, who can forgive sins except God alone? And Jesus knew what their thoughts were, and he said, you know, why are you grumbling? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take up your bed and walk? So which one is easier? It's a tough question, right? I mean, if you can say it immediately, take up your bed and walk, and someone actually does it, it's pretty impressive. But you might say, well, you could say, anybody could say your sins are forgiven. But to say you're able to say your sins are forgiven and actually then be forgiven in the court of heaven, that costs something pretty big. That costs the death on the cross. And so it's, it's a hard question. Both require the work of the omnipotent Son of God. And so, but he wanted to show them that he had authority on the earth to forgive sins. So he said to them, so I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home, and walk. And that's what the man did. And people were amazed, and they marveled at what Jesus did. Now what this teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus is the one who is present and available to forgive sins. We have an impediment to going to the Father, one that will keep us out of the Father's presence from all eter- for all eternity. And that is our own sin. But what Jesus is declaring is that he can remove that impediment, that he can forgive our sins so that we can go to the Father and enjoy him and be with him unto all eternity. And so, as we see this, what is Jesus teaching? He's teaching us something about himself. He doesn't, he doesn't just teach us what to do, he, he, though he teaches us a lot about that. He teaches us a lot about himself. And he teaches us that he is the one who is president, present and available to forgive sins. Now, it's easy. I wonder when we look at this, who might we see ourselves as? One of the things to do when you're in a story is like, where do I fit? Am I Jesus? And, and of course, I don't mean that in the sense like I'm the son of God, but I might be ministering in the name of Jesus. Um, am, I, am I the friends who are bringing someone to Jesus? Am I the paralytic or am I the, the Pharisees? Now, of course, nobody says they're the Pharisees. So, right? They don't say, that's me. But I think it's always ask, worth asking if that's really where we are. But here's one way I might ask that. If you're thinking about this and saying, and, and your first thought is not, I need a Jesus who forgives my sins. You might be, have somewhere landed over in the side of the Pharisees. If you're thinking, this confronts our modern age with all its ills and errors, then you might have missed the key point, which is that Jesus comes to you as a believer in him and says, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. The greatest and most glorious word that we can ever hear from the Lord himself is that you are forgiven. You are accepted. You are all that you've done is in the past. And it can help us, but it can also help others too. I had a good friend, I have a good friend of mine and um, 
I remember one time I was sharing with him, confessing my sin as, as, Jesus, as, as we're called to do, to confess our sins to one another. We don't have to do that in order to be forgiven, but it's helpful. And here's why it's helpful. Because what that friend can do is what my friend did. As he said, he said to, to me, Wes, your sins are forgiven. God is not even going to bring it up again. And it was like all of a sudden I could hear Jesus saying that to me. And that's really stuck with me because ever since that time, it's not that I had never done that before, but it was such a powerful moment that it's helped me to say, when I hear my friends who believe in Christ are struggling with sin, that I can say, son, your sins are forgiven you. God will never bring it up again. We need to recognize that because that's the foundation. We have hope. Whatever else, that's our big problem to solve. That's the thing we need the most, even more than being able to walk. So that's the first story. The second story is that Levi and his friends were called to new life in Jesus. Now, in this case, Jesus leaves the house and he went out beside the lake. And I don't know about you, if I was in that house with, with 100 people in a tiny room, I'd be ready to go out to the lake too, right? And enjoy some nature. And But of course, what happens? A large crowd comes to him again, and he began to teach them. Remember, Jesus is the teacher. And so that's one thing we need to see. He is the one who will teach us. He teaches us through the whole Bible, but he also taught in a special way while he was on earth. But then, then he started walking along, and then he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Levi, son of Alphaeus, is the same, is also, has another name, which is what? Matthew. And that's the one who wrote the first gospel, according to first account of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament. And it's called Matthew. Right, Matthew. And, uh, but he's also called Levi, and, and uh, he, so as odd people often did, had different, different names, some from the Greek, some from, from the Hebrew, and so on. Anyway, so he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus says what he says to so many, follow me. Follow me. And so Jesus is calling people to follow him. And of course, in this case, it often meant quite a literal following. Like literally, he's going to walk around, and Matthew, Levi, would be following him. And that's what he did. He actually got up from the booth and started following Jesus. So it's like that the altar calls not just come to the altar, but it's like, now leave and follow me wherever I go from here. So that's, and that's actually one way we need to think about follow, being a Christian. It's not just making a one-time decision. But it's a, a commit decision to follow that keeps going. And so he follows him. And then they have a big party. And, and Levi, who is, or Matthew, who is, who is despised by everybody, who is not liked, invites all his friends. And invites all his friends. And um, they come together and they have a big party. And it's just as a side note. Um, I definitely recommend this practice. First of all, and especially, and if you, ha- if you do it, I definitely want you to invite me because I love parties. So, but invite everybody you know. Invite your believing friends and your unbelieving friends. 
and have some real fun. Play some salsa music. First take some salsa lessons. Play some salsa music or whatever you want to do. Bring out your guitar. You know, play a cornhole. Have some, have some drinks. Have some food. And have everybody come there and see what happens when they all start mixing together. Uh, so that's one thing I've, I've tried to do um, in, in this summer. And it has been an interesting experience to see different people mixing together. I did one on Memorial Day. I did one on Labor Day. And um, the more Memorial Day, um, it was interesting. One of my Christian friends said, you should have stopped and like shared the gospel or something. And at first I was kind of like, well, you know, I mean, it would be kind of maybe a little awkward. But then I just thought, well, no, it really wouldn't, actually. I, th- I could definitely have done that. And nobody would have even been offended. Nobody would have left. And so when we had the Labor Day party, I just said, we're, right, we're in the middle of listening to music, having a good time. And I just say, hey, we're going to stop. And I just said, you know why we, we reach out to people like this? Because we, we have received the love of God. We believe that he loves us. We believe that he cares about us. And he's called us to show that to other people. And a few other things. And everybody listened and, and was kind of like, okay. And then we went back to having, you know, doing what we were doing before. But that, that was fun too. Heather was there. So she, held, she, she loves a party as well. So anyways, that's a side note. I kind of wondered, though, if this was something of what Jesus was doing. I was like, this was, and at times there was kind of like, you know, things were happening. I'm like, I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, you can't control it completely, right? So anyway, this is what Jesus was doing. And people are looking on, they're saying, what in the world is Jesus doing at this type of party? And, uh, you know, I just wonder, now obviously there's some wrong ways in which we could do that, right? We could obviously party in sinful ways. We can, and we, and we need to, we need to keep our heads. We need to keep it in bounds. But I do wonder if like, are we ever close enough to the craziness of where people actually are? So that people would be like, what are they doing there? You know, that we actually get that involved. I mean, somehow we've got to push the boundary a little bit. That's, I think Jesus was doing that. And so he says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And, and uh, Jesus said, well, listen, I'm the doctor. I'm the doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, sometimes we, we, we don't get close enough to people in order to be able to help them. Jesus says, I'm going to get where they are so that, I can, so that I can heal, help them, and heal them, and bless them. And he valued them as well. Now this teaching is very, very interesting because it says, and the sum, how I would sum it up is Jesus came into this world to heal sinful and broken people. So, um, and, and, uh, and, and the key teaching here is that Jesus is coming to this world. Uh, it, is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's telling them, why have I come into this world? I have come into this world to save sinners, to help people, to heal, to bring healing to a broken and sinful people. Now, this is a very interesting phrase because I think it, it challenges us in, in, and challenges us and encourages us in a variety of ways. The first thing is that we might say that in some ways Jesus recognizes, Jesus was not saying necessarily that the Pharisees were the healthy, and they were the sick. 
Because actually the Pharisees needed Jesus too. They needed to hear the declaration, your sins are forgiven you. And they didn't see their need. So in some ways, it's, it's, the, it's the sick who see that they're sick that Jesus has come for. And as, as long as people don't see their need for a healer, then they're not going to go to Jesus. As long as they don't see their, their brokenness and sinfulness and their need for healing, they're not going to go for Jesus. That phrase won't mean anything to us until we see that we are the ones who need Jesus to heal us and help us, right? So it challenges us in this way because it's kind of a saying to the, to the Pharisee, I've come to, to be the, the doctor, but in a way, you're not seeing that you need me. So I'm going to the people who see that they, that they need me. And so that challenges us, do we see our need for Jesus? Are we seeing that we need this one who's come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance? But then the second meaning is this. If we do see ourselves as sinners, then we have really good news because we have the healer. We have the one who's come to forgive us, to change us, to transform us, and to make us new. He's called us to be with him so that he can transform us and make us new and bring us to a new way, a new life. So if we see something in our lives where we say, this is not the way it's supposed to be, then we don't have to rest there. We have a healer. And he says, that's why I've come, to help you with that. But then the third meaning, and there's probably many more, I'm just going to talk about three, is that, is, is a question that I think, that I've already kind of alluded to, that I need to ask myself again and again, and the church needs to ask itself again and again. One of the great advantages of church is that we have a community here of friends who help us move away from the world and towards the kingdom of God. But the problem is, the problem is, that over time, that can be our only friends. That's the only people we know. And so we're not with those who need the, the, health, the, the doctor. We're, we're with the healthy and again, we all need Jesus. So I'm just using this in a slightly different sense. We're the found. We're not, we're not the lost. We've been found and Jesus has brought us in. But how are we going to bring the lost in to be found? We have to be able to connect with them like Jesus did. So he shows us this by, by his example. And, and it's just, it's a question that we have to ask ourselves again and again. And I tell you, it can be really hard as a, as a pastor too. Because, because it's like I have a group of people that I'm called to connect with. And so like after that, do I have enough energy to connect with people outside that group? That's the question I have to keep asking myself. So I have to be very deliberate. And look, if I don't, if I don't make any effort to, to, to talk to, to people outside the church this week, if I make zero effort, no one's going to say anything on Sunday morning. I'm, my job's not going to be at risk. But if I come on Sunday morning and say, you know, I was busy reaching out to lost people and I did not have time to prepare a sermon, so I'm just going to read a chapter of the Bible and pray. Then people will quickly get uh, upset, right? If I don't contact them, if, I, if I'm not there when, when time's in need, 
the, the, quickly. That, that, will, that will build up. And that, that's what I'm supposed to do. But my point is that I can miss the other and no one will say anything. Those are all things that need to be done. But I just say that for myself. And you know, when we really do get out there and begin to connect, it really is a glorious thing. I remember, you know, there, there was definitely a time period in my life where I really had a hard time getting outside the church. And the Lord kind of broke through my heart and said, you know, you've got to get out there more. And uh, I remember just like, it was like one month, and part of it was a trip I had taken out east, and it was, I was gone for, for a month. And I came back, and it was like, I just said, I'm going to go out this day and just start talking to people that I might know or try to meet new people or go where people are. And it was just such a great day because I met new people. I did talk to people about the gospel. And it's like, it's such a good thing for us to do. But it's not something that will happen by accident or easily. We have to make an effort to get, get out there. And so that's one thing I, I always think that passage, I've not come to call the righteous, the sinners to repentance, is one that's a continual challenge. And so, so I just want to give you, just to say, and I think that that's the sort of thing that these statements of Jesus can do. They need to become much more a part of our lives so that we're taking them in real deep and they begin to change and transform us. So that we, we begin to think of Jesus and we begin to say, he's not come to call the righteous, the sinners to repentance. And we just, that's, that's over and over again in our mind. And many other statements of Jesus. And they'll begin to shape the way we look at the world. They'll begin to shape the way we, shape, we, we make our priorities. How we relate to people. The things we do on a daily basis. That's one thing I walk away from as I look at these teachings of Jesus. And we'll, we'll close with this one. We're going to look at the next two, second half in Mark 2 uh, next time I'm here in October. But just that I say, man, I really wish that I had taken these t- much more deeply. And it's like there's so much richness there, so much application. I just want to make these more a part of my life. I want to, be, I want to have these things come to my mind again and again when I encounter things, that they begin to shape my vision of the world. That when I see, like, I can stay home or I can go to the party where all the, I meet a lot of people that I say, you know, I'm going out there. Jesus has not come to call the righteous but the sinners. I won't know him unless I get out there. For example, when I see my own need, that I'll, that I'll, I'll, I'll see I've not, he's not come to call righteous but the sinners, and I need him, he's here for me. That when I see my sin over and over again, just hearing that word that just becomes the governing factor of my life, your sins are forgiven you. And that's what it can be for us if we will just take in the teachings of Jesus. And isn't that what it means to follow him?